Here's where marketers tend to get it wrong is they don't take a scientific approach. They take some other approach where it's like they take the data and they try to prove why the campaign was successful versus think of it the other way where it's like, I just really want to know, did it work or not? I don't have to prove I don't have to prove the talk of the cycle. I have to test it, right? So proving versus testing is like this trigger in your brain as a marketer that once you crack that, you won't be defensive of your campaign. Welcome to the Marketing Moguls Podcast, where we talk to the big shots, the heavy hitters, the cream of the crop in the world of marketing. This is a show where we sit down with the most brilliant minds in the industry, and we pick their brains to find out what makes them tick, what makes them successful, and sometimes what makes them want to pull their hair out. Each episode, we'll be talking to top executives, entrepreneurs, even influencers who have made their mark in the marketing world, and we'll be asking them tough questions like, what's the best way to increase conversions? Or how do you come up with a killer ad campaign? Or why do marketers always wear black? But let's be real, we're not just here to talk shop, we're also here to have some fun. So we'll be discussing some of the latest trends, we're gonna be sharing some hilarious marketing fails, and maybe even trying to convince our guests to let us in on their secret to creating the perfect meme. So whether you're a marketer, a business owner, or just someone who's fascinated by the world of marketing, this podcast is for you. Sit back, grab your favorite drink, and join us as we dive into the minds of the marketing moguls that are shaping the industry today. Welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Moguls Podcast. We've got a really great guest on today, Don Hollywell. He is from TrustLayer. He's actually the head of marketing over there. Don, thanks so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. Yeah, definitely. It's really great to have you on. And if you don't mind, before we get started, before we really dive into it, could you just give a brief introduction of yourself to the audience, maybe a little bit about who you are and what you do and everything like that? Yeah. So I'm the head of marketing at TrustLayer. We call ourselves a number of, of different things. But essentially, what we do is we reduce the paperwork friction when two businesses come and work together. So one side has to collect compliance documents. The other side has to give it. That's usually painful and we solve that. That's awesome. Okay, nice. And how did you find yourself to being the head of marketing there? I have a crazy kind of background in tech that went into startups, like big tech, like working at BlackBerry, went into startups, working at Hootsuite. And then I've been into fintech and insurance in some way for the past, let's call it eight years. So this is like an insurance company that's also a startup. It was just a really nice fit. I reached out to the team when they had this posting and the rest is kind of history. We got along really well. Gotcha. And in your past roles, like you mentioned, BlackBerry and stuff like that, have you been primarily in marketing roles or have you woven your career path to into this marketing place that you find yourself in now? Yeah, I'm fortunate. My partner is a career advisor. So she's always given me this really great advice, even from like day one, that it's don't carve too deep of a niche for yourself right away. Be open to opportunities that might not be what you had in mind when you left school. So I started in public relations and I did that for a good amount of time at BlackBerry. And if you can imagine, BlackBerry at their peak, like it was a phenomenal business to be in public relations for. And then it got even better as you go through crisis management for a company that's, let's just say, not doing so well. I don't want to say like shitting the bed, but as a company going through some challenges, being in public relations there is like being in an incubator. It's really like for a young career. So that was cool. And it opened so many doors. At the same time, social media was on the rise. So I got mm-hmm. to check out like going into blogging and like running our Twitter handle for a massive brand. And we were really just figuring it out and experimenting and had a really strong agency partner that was helping us navigate that. 
And it was great. And then that led into more broader marketing roles, product marketing, and then more management kind of like orchestration executive type roles. Gotcha. And do you feel like you still leverage that public relations knowledge and that background that you have today doing the marketing work that you do now? Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think I've really realized this over the last, uh, let's call it 18 months with Trustlayer is the things that work for a 20,000 person company, or I was just at a large insurance carrier in Canada prior to this, and it's Mm -hmm. a 30,000 person company. You can't just take that playbook and drop it in on a 50 person company. And that seems obvious, but there's some things you take and there's some you don't. So public relations is one of those where it works really well when you're trying to own the narrative and you have a large set of stories and a rich history and all of these things. That works in a totally different way than it does when you're actually creating something from new and nobody has any reason to pay attention to you and like you're just noise. So I take public relations totally differently in this, but I haven't gone too deep because it's not necessarily what Trustlayer needs me to go deep on in this moment. Yeah. That makes sense for sure. And it's interesting that you mentioned the difference between a large company and a smaller company, because I find that so true. A lot of the guests that we talk to, they do try to either recreate kind of similar successes that they've had before from a past company and a new one. And they find the same thing that you mentioned that oftentimes, although there's key things that you can bring with you, there's many things that change along the way. Do you think you'd be able to give us maybe a couple examples or some insight into some of the things that are really different, at least when it comes to maybe marketing at a larger company or public relations into how it looks here at what you're doing at trust layer yeah don't get me wrong i I tried to just like drop in and change all the things but that was really humbling like you you really learn oh that that isn't just gonna work like it does for a company that has an established brand and where you say oh i work for a blackberry everyone kind of nods yep not the young kids these days but (laughs) everyone kind of nods along and is like oh yeah i know what that is right there i benefited when i was at those large brands from like years of those brands being built up. So to build one from scratch is a totally different beast. I would say just like for me, the growth motion or the paid motion is totally different at a small company. Whereas I know I can be more predictable managing six figures, seven figures of ad spend at a large company, knowing what I'm basically expected to get out of that versus 5,000 here, 10,000 here at a smaller company. And then the ROI just doesn't happen. The big shift from an established program to establishing a program is something that you have to figure out and you really have to get your hands dirty to do. Definitely. Yeah. Hey, the honesty is cool though, that you were like, trust me, I tried because it's true. And we, I think we all try. So And it's funny that you mentioned BlackBerry maybe not being as well known. Maybe I think it is because of the new Reddit craze, all of the that investing and everything. I feel like there was a time where you're right, BlackBerry faded away. But now I feel like I hear about it decently often with all of that. That's fascinating for sure. Eating a meme stock is like the best thing that ever happened. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The brand. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I was going to ask, you had mentioned like managing a large volume of ad spend and then going to a smaller company. And it's just like, you can't throw tens of thousands of dollars constantly at these things and hope that it works. How have you adjusted? You mentioned that obviously you can't do it at the same scale and the same level. So what are some of the kind of the tactics that you've been using to adjust some things that maybe you've seen work well before and to try to get them to work well here in a company of this size? Yeah, I think the biggest difference is that 
the runway, I would say. Not like the runway and like we're going to run out of money as a company, but the runway for letting things run a little bit to succeed. I'm not a fisherman, but there's like a fishing metaphor where you got to let that fish run a bit before you start to reel it in. At a large company, there's like a bigger appetite for that. So you can put something out and let it run for six months and then start to evaluate and look back at the data. Here, and I would say at a lot of small companies, and this is actually probably the better approach, you can only let that thing run for like maximum one month before you have to start seeing some sort of insight or return and like change course. You don't have the luxury of like shifting on a whim. That's been one of the biggest uh, realizations and things that you have to know. So having your data house in order has been one of the challenges and one of the key rocks that we've been moving for the past quarter, I would say. Is our data as clean as we thought? Does it give us insight or is it just numbers in a table somewhere that we're not like activating? So we're really trying to activate data in a different way so that our spend can be optimized, so that we can make the most of a $500 campaign. If we can get a $500 campaign and get nothing out of it at a big company, that's acceptable. Yeah. At a smaller company, you're like, every penny counts. It's great. It elevates everybody on the team. Yeah, it almost forces you to perform at like a higher level, basically, because you have to be so much more tuned in to all of the things that are going on because there's just not enough room for error, if I'm understanding correctly, at least. so. Yeah, it's not even like room for error. It's just that I could take every penny as like a decision about what else could I do with that money at a smaller company. If I'm spending $1,000 here and it's not giving me anything, the sooner I make the decision to move it somewhere else is better. Yeah, definitely. So then could you give us a little bit of insight into how you are marketing your product at TrustLayer? The best question would be, what are the things that are working right now? Like, How do you all like to show the world what you all do? Yeah, we have the luxury of having one of the greatest channel partner industries in the world in that Insurance brokers love us because they instantly get the pain on behalf of their clients. Now, the, the brokers themselves, in most cases, and not to go too deep, but they're not the ones using our software. And sometimes they are, but in most cases, it's going to be like a construction company or large stadium, someone who's bringing in vendors and working with new business partners on a regular basis. And like the Super Bowl, the big game is like, a really good example of that. The stadium that has to host that, now they've got like bomb sniffing dogs and like yep. seating vendors and the food vendors are different and the satellite truck vendors. Like there's a ton of different people coming onto that site and a ton of documentation, paperwork and additional insurance required. So the brokers, they get that. And our biggest like channel is our broker channel. They, not that they sell on our behalf, but they definitely advocate for the need for TrustLayer with their clients and saying, you could do a lot better. This sounds like it's really painful for your team. You could do a lot better. You could save on your premiums and whatnot. So that's what's working. The downsides to a channel partnership, despite how good the community is, those people just want, like for every 2% that, that wants to like, that loves what we do, there's a 98% that just want to sell insurance. It's a mm -hmm. commoditized market. And like, they're not going to put their insurance sale at risk to bring in some software vendor. We're working today to turn up our direct motion. So we know now via our broker channel that construction companies, facilities, franchises, they tend to be our bread and butter. We're developing that ICP and we're going direct to those companies. And it's not to cut out the broker, it's to enhance the story that they might have to tell.
Absolutely. And so when it comes to this kind of like new push here to develop your ICP, to reach out to these people on a little more of a direct path, is there a game plan so far on like how you all want to try to pursue that avenue? Yeah, we're using intent data. There's a few tools we're using, but we're really trying to take people who are already in market, who are surfacing either, or I would say signaling pain in, in some way or another, and then advertising channels, getting them to engage, come in, become aware of trust layers slowly based on the pains they're experiencing. And then there's an outbound motion once they really pick up and say we're interested or not, or they send signals to us that they're interested. So that's the motion. It seems traditional today, but it's something that we're trying because we just haven't done it yet. Yeah. What forms of outbound marketing or maybe I should say, what forms of media are you using to get yourself out there to these people? Like, are you kind of functioning more around like the email type of world? Are you guys running more advertising? Are you doing bigger like social media presence? What all are the ways that you get yourself in front of these people, especially the ones that you know might have some intent that they're looking to potentially find someone like you all? It's a mix. We start with like a really light ad budget. Again, we know these people are like search based on the intent data we have, and we trust that data, we know that there could be interest in trust layer. So it's servicing those value propositions or those pains and trying to get an engagement there. And then from that, we go into an email motion. It's mostly marketing driven. And then there's a threshold where we hand it off to an outbound team who's going through a heavier sequence, gotcha. higher touch sequence. The other thing that we're trying to do is we're trying to build and we listen to all the same podcasts that every marketer does. And <laughs> we go to all the same communities and everyone's like trying to do, they're trying to do audience building. And that's our social play as we're trying to really, and I hate to say community because that word's kind of come and gone. Like it's lost its meaning now that everyone's just like, oh, we're building a community. So I would just say like audience building and then hoping that we foster a community there. Gotcha. Okay. In terms of, we talked a little bit now about what you've been doing, what you're going to try to do, what's maybe worked a little bit. What about things that maybe haven't worked as well? Do you have any examples from either what's been going on at TrustLayer, maybe even things that you've done in the past that you've recognized just maybe don't work as well anymore or things that you tried to transition that just didn't pan out very well? Could you give us any examples of things like that? Yeah. Email is a grind. Like email in today, and we, I don't want to like tip our hat, but like, we're, there's a strategy that we're thinking of where we just cut out the email and go straight to a better experiential journey. Like, what if you never really had to email somebody to raise awareness? So that's one thing where it's a grind. It's not the clear winner for us today. We're doing it just because in lieu of other things to do, you must do something. The argument is all of these other companies are doing it. Why not? So there, there's a million why nots. So we're doing it. It's not a home run for us. So we're looking at other ways. And that's something that in the next couple months, our website has to get overhauled because if we're going from intent to bring people to a property, like that asset has to be driving for us. So that's a big focus. And then overhauling the email experience and like maybe looking at a post email world. If that makes sense, if that turns out to make sense for us, that will be really cool because our personas are like risk managers. They live in email, but they the penetration of email into those people is really low because spam blockers and all yep. of these things. Yeah. And it's really interesting to hear you say that because it's so true that it seems like there's different forms of marketing that have worked really well for certain periods of time. And then as with most things, maybe too many people do it or too many people do it the wrong way. And we find that it's just not nearly as successful as it once was. 
you and I and probably everyone listening to this podcast get like a million emails a day. And so now it's to a point where it's so saturated that I completely agree. A world like the way you described it is a, where, a world where we don't really have to go through that step would be incredible. So yeah, kudos to you all. Let me know if you figure out how to yeah. burst through that without having to deal with most of that. That would be amazing. Yeah. That's yeah, we I will definitely I'll reach out and let you know there's a combination of like technology and ability that we're looking to build on that side. Yeah. And when we do, if it works, I'll let you know. And if it doesn't, I'll let you know, because I think yeah. that's important, too, because I would say a lot of things don't work. And that was the same at BlackBerry. It was the same at Hootsuite. And it was the same. It's everywhere. It, there's probably a few things that work, but you have to have these new ideas for every five things that work. There's probably a graveyard of really cool ideas that, you know, didn't go well. Hey there, we want to take a quick second to thank our sponsors of this episode, Tier 11. Do you ever sit at your computer wondering why you're spending so much money on advertisement for your business that drives little to no revenue? Does the idea of another month with low engagement make you want to pull your hair out? Well, you're in luck because the team of professionals over at Tier 11 can handle these issues in no time flat and make you forget all about your nightmare ad experience. Tier 11 is an advertising agency that manages over $100 million in annual ad spend and has more than 15 years of advertising experience. So it's pretty safe to say they know their stuff. Stop wasting your time and your budget on advertising that doesn't work and trust the professionals instead. Head over to www.tier11.com today and chat with a team member to learn more about how they can help you get more customers and increase their lifetime value. That's T-I-E-R-E-L-E-V-E-N.com. Now back to the podcast. How do you keep yourself running in those situations when you run into maybe a week or a month or a quarter where you do test a couple different things and maybe they don't work out very well? Do you have any tips or tricks for the audience about how you stay motivated in those situations, how you keep yourself exploring and trying new things and how you don't let it get you down? It's situational. There's times when like you really bet the farm on one big thing and it doesn't work. I would say like a podcast is like a key example of that. It's it tends to be high effort. You put a lot of actual minutes into producing it and running it well. But if you don't have the, I would say, the tolerance to wait and let that pay off, it's easy to kill it at month six. So it's easy to kill it after three months. And some companies will say, yep, it didn't work, move on. And other companies that have more patience with it will really reap those benefits in 18 months. So if you're going to think about things that might fail, you have to frame them on like the size of the bet, the time frame of the bet, and really go from there. So how do I bounce back? It's maybe looking at the next thing or maybe framing the failure in a different way. I think retros are uh, like a retroactive or retro perspective on campaigns is something that there's almost like a cycle of complacency around where someone will sell in the campaign and then they'll run it and then they'll collect some data. And then Here's where marketers tend to get it wrong is they don't take a scientific approach. They take some other approach where it's like they take the data and they try to prove why the campaign was successful versus think of it the other way where it's like, I just really want to know, did it work or not? I don't have to prove. I don't have to prove the talk of the cycle. I have to test it. Right. So proving versus testing is like this trigger in your brain as a marketer that once you crack that, you won't be defensive of your campaigns. You'll mm -hmm. say, we tried it, we tested it, here's what we learned. And I think that's the scientific approach or the scientific method that marketers could benefit from a lot. Absolutely. 
Yeah. It's good to be, I think, data-driven as well. Like, It's good to look at the numbers and see what's actually going on rather than just having a feeling like, yeah, we feel like this works pretty well. Did it work pretty well? So even it's like, it's like, oh yeah, this worked really well. It had like 4 million impressions. And if that's the thing that you hang your slide on when you're going to the executives, it's not as good as saying we got 4 million impressions, but like it actually drove zero of the business outcomes. We really wanted it to here's why, here's what we might do next, or here's what we might do differently. So I'd say it's okay for a campaign to be a failure. And that's one of the things where if a campaign or an initiative isn't successful, you may make it successful by applying learnings to whatever you do next and be doing so deliberately. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So we're running a little short on time here, but I did want to ask one more thing, which is that you've had a great career up until this point. We've talked about a lot of really awesome things here today. For the people that are out there listening, especially those who want to find themselves in a situation similar to where you are today, if you were able to give maybe yourself a few years ago advice or even yourself now advice, what would you say to the people that are listening on how they can help their marketing journey to get down a road similar to where you are today? For me, I think caring, like maybe passion is the wrong word, but like caring, genuinely caring about what you do when you wake up every day is important in any career. So this isn't just for marketers, but if you wake up and you care about what you sell, the company you work for, the people you work around, if you care for your vendors just as much as you do about your internal team, you're going to have a better time and it's going to be easier to progress because everything will be rooted in that. And if you find yourself just going through the motions and not caring. That's like a wake up call to kind of shift or move. And I think if I can share a personal story, that's one of the reasons why I went from that 30,000 person company to the 50 person company. When you have a really good idea for something that can be simple and you can't execute it on, can't execute on it for six months because it gets caught up in paperwork and bureaucracy. And everyone's like, yeah, we should do this. And then six months later, it's still not live. That's a clear sign that I was like, I just don't care about this thing anymore. So I moved on or I started seeking out things. So if you're aware of that in your career, you're going to go far. Definitely. Awesome. Don, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for talking to us about everything. We really appreciate it. It's been great. Awesome talking to you. Awesome. All right, Mogul Nation. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Marketing Mogul Podcast. And we will check you in the next one.